Last month, the House of Representatives narrowly passed the American Health Care Act, or AHCA, a victory for Republicans who campaigned on a platform of repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act. Since then, a Congressional Budget Office assessment has estimated that the legislation would reduce the number of people with insurance coverage by 23 million. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Matthew Fiedler, a fellow with the Center for Health Policy at the Brookings Institution. Dr. Fiedler has co-authored a perspective article on the AHCA and its likely effects. Dr. Fiedler, how have policymakers reacted to this CBO analysis? Were its findings in line with Republicans' expectations? The findings were broadly in line with the findings of the prior CBO score of this legislation, which was generally expected, I think, both among Republicans and Democrats. You have seen quite a number of Republicans, particularly the director of the Office of Management and Budget in the Trump administration, criticizing CBO over this report. But I think it had to be what they expected, whatever disagreements they may have with it. You write in your article that the AHCA would affect both Medicaid and private insurance. The changes to Medicaid would ultimately result in large reductions in federal funding for many states. How do you think states would respond to lower funding levels? So I think every state is going to take a different approach, and I think the two Medicaid provisions included in the legislation are going to have different effects. So with respect to the curtailed federal funding for states that expanded Medicaid under the ACA, I would expect that most states that have expanded would discontinue those expansions, and correspondingly, the people who have gained coverage under those expansions would lose that coverage. The responses to the per capita cap, which would set a cap on the total amount of spending that the federal government will provide a match for, those responses would likely be more heterogeneous. So you would see some states probably trying to reduce the scope of the services they provide. You would see some states reduce the amounts they pay to providers for services. And you would probably see some states curtail eligibility for categories where the cap was well below the cost of serving people in those categories, or seek to find ways to shift people with very high costs due to significant health needs out of the program. And then for people with private coverage that they would get on the individual insurance market, the AHCA would repeal the Affordable Care Act's premium tax credit and cost-sharing reductions and would replace them with a tax credit that doesn't adjust for differences in local costs of coverage and doesn't fully adjust for differences in premiums based on age. So what's the Republican argument for those changes? I have heard Republicans make two main arguments. The first argument is that linking the value of the tax credit to the premiums actually paid in an area has the effect of driving up premiums. In areas with meaningful competition, which I would expect to characterize most areas over the medium to long term, that's not a significant concern, but it is at least a theoretical possibility. The other concern that Republicans have raised is that the current structure is relatively complex. From my perspective, the complexities of the ACA are what they are, but the particulars of the design of the tax credit have not been a significant problem, so that does not strike me as a strong rationale for the road they've gone down. And then another change, what would be the effect of eliminating the requirement that individual and small group plans cover a set of essential health benefits? Which benefits do you think plans are most likely to drop if they have that option? It will depend to a significant degree how states use that authority. Some states could elect 
to allow plans to only drop particular benefits, maternity coverage, prescription drugs, and mental health and substance abuse treatment are particularly likely just given that those were types of coverage that plans often didn't provide prior to the ACA. In other cases, though, plans could decide to take a more aggressive approach if the states let them in order to avoid types of coverage that are associated with people who have very significant health needs. So you can imagine plans if they were allowed to deciding to drop dialysis services, for example, in order to avoid people with uh, end-stage renal disease. You could approaches like that that would avoid people with very significant health needs. You say in your article that although the AHCA would ostensibly allow insurers to charge sick people more for coverage only if they've had a recent gap in their coverage, but that in reality states could use waivers to completely unravel community rating protections across the market. Do you think many states would actually go that route? I think many states would use this authority fairly aggressively. If you look back before the ACA, relatively few states completely barred insurers from varying premiums based on health status, and a majority of states had no restrictions at all in this area. I think the repeal of the individual mandate combined with the reduction in federal tax credits and other subsidies for people buying individual market coverage would lead to a significant deterioration in the state of these insurers' markets which I think would create substantial pressure on policymakers in those states to go back to an approach to market regulation that looked much more like what we saw before the ACA. Now, exactly how many states would decide to do that, I don't know. CBO's assessment was about one in six states would ultimately decide to go down this road, but there's a lot of uncertainty there. So the AHCA has been passed by the House of Representatives. What do you think its future is? Do you think Senate Republicans are going to pass a version of this legislation and If they do, how much do you think it's going to differ from what the House has passed? So I think it is incredibly uncertain at this stage what the Senate ultimately does. My strong suspicion would be that if the Senate passes anything, it will likely look quite a bit like what was passed out of the House. In that, I think that is the only imaginable structure that you get 50 senators to vote for. My strong suspicion, however, There is at least a significant chance that many moderate senators will be unwilling to go along with that formula, and as a result, the Senate will not pass anything at all. I see fairly low probability that the Senate coalesces around a substantially watered-down package that would substantially stem the coverage losses. Finally, you write that if, in fact, the AHCA does go into effect 18% of the non-elderly population will be uninsured by 2026. That's approximately the same proportion as when the ACA was enacted. But what will have changed since the pre-ACA era? How will the healthcare system be different from what it was 10 years ago? So we're obviously talking a lot about changes in insurance coverage. The ACA also made a variety of changes with respect to how we pay for healthcare services. Those changes have caused significant changes in both private insurance and in Medicare. Those will, of course, remain in place and I think continue to drive change going forward. With respect to the coverage side of the law, there will obviously be some tax credit remaining in the individual market to allow certain people to purchase coverage, but the overall size and robustness of that market will probably be much of the way back to where it was before, and almost all the progress that's been made in expanding Medicaid coverage would be gone. Thank you, Dr. Fiedler.